Can't escape your shadow again The unpleasant presence you installed And every memory we have Forgotten promises like thoughts Turning back on. All right, we're, we're going again. Uh, you have something to say. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say Iron Maiden Peace of Mind is the first ever time a band has sat down in metal and said, this is the order we're going to do these songs. This is the order they're going to appear on the album because this is the emotional ride we want you to have. I could be wrong, but going back as far as I can to the organization of an album, that's the first one I remember thinking, holy shit, that was that was in the right order. Well, I feel like every album, most producers are trying to do that. Do you know what I mean? And I would be surprised if it wasn't happening with every, you know, metal album up until that point. Like you look at like, like, uh, like Blizzard of Oz came out before that, right? And that's got, um, that's got a kind of structure like that. Um, I do think that Peace of Mind is a particularly good structure. Like Iron Maiden does a really good job of leading with like that, you know, more up-tempo, heavier song and then kind of dipping. Do you know what I mean? Like they have like a, I, I feel like Iron Maiden is one of the better bands at structuring an album for sure. Yeah. Um, which maybe is one of the things that leads to lead, like when, when we've talked about their weaker albums, it might be one of the things that leads them there because they're like, Oh, we need the song that dips. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. And maybe that's, you know, when they, when they don't have the inspiration, maybe that's where it's a problem. But, uh, um, whenever we talk about the strength of, of say seventh son of a seventh son, as an example, mm -hmm. right. The only bad point of that album is, can I play with madness considered their worst song of all time? Well, right. well, let's be clear about that because a lot of people like that song. You and I are not huge fans of it. Okay, but sure... a lot of people are drunk all day. No, no, but and you but, can't. No, but you just said it like it was universally accepted. So that's why I'm just. I think I just... most people. I think the majority of Iron Maiden fans consider that their worst song. Okay, I, I'd be interested to know how because I, I. It's funny. I had I don't really talk to that many other Iron Maiden fans, and and when I do, I'm often surprised what their opinions are about different songs. Um, but I, I mean, I yeah, agree with true. you. I, I agree with you that that song, it's the most out of place song on the album, right? Like yeah. everything else has this sound that, you know, that feels like a certain way. And then you get, can I play with madness? And it's, I don't know. It just doesn't work for me for whatever reason. And maybe it's because I heard it so much. Cause that was the song that actually got played on air and on MTV. And it's, you I know, set the week it came out. Mm -hmm. So there was no way to skip that song. Okay. Yeah, I can I, imagine how many times I've been forced to listen to it, and well, I hated it from the jump. I had it on cassette too, so I didn't get it when it got out, when it came out. But I had it like you know, what, what year was that? That was eighty eight that it came out. Eighty eight. Yeah, so I got it like a year later, maybe on cassette, and I, I, I remember, you know, I just would listen to the whole thing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't usually. I, I was always afraid to fast forward because I didn't want to damage the tape. Um, so. I was on a field trip for school, and I stopped at a store and I bought it. And I listened to it on the entire bus ride home. That's how no I got lie. Live After Death. Was, uh, What's on that? I got Live After Death on a field trip. That is funny. That is really funny. So getting back to the order of an album, I think, I think Maiden, was, and you can argue whatever album you want to, 
but I think Maiden has a huge influence on the repetition of the three good Metallica albums, right? A Lightning, Puppets, Justice. Okay, Those okay, I see what you're saying. Album, yeah, just with better production value each time. And they um, start similarly. They they yeah. yeah. Every song is in exactly the play, same place. Mm-hmm. On those albums, and I think that structure comes from listening to Maiden, to be honest. But but the thing about that structure is that exists even before metal does, like, or at least like metal proper. Like, you know, you see that on Queen albums. Do you know what I mean? You see that on all kinds of albums that you know where even if it's not a, a rock album, the the opening song usually is like a little bit more explosive. Do you know what I mean? Sure, on a, on a sure. But I, I think in the context of metal, if I go back to Sin After Sin, or I go back to um, Rockarola, or what's the other one? Sad Wings of Destiny for Priest. I don't necessarily think, and Unleashed in the East, the order of those songs makes no sense to me. But that's a live album, isn't it? Unleashed in the it's East? It's a studio live album. It's well, mo- mo- most, most live albums are studio <laughs> live. But okay, Sad Wings of Destiny. I got the playlist in front of me. That's... I mean, that's pretty, you have like victim of changes is, is a pretty heavy song to start with. Right. Like that's got a, a good tempo. That is the song you end that album on. Oh, really? So what song? my favorite metal song of all time. What song would you have started the album with then? I'm looking at the list right now. Oh, I'm just looking at, damn it. Hold on. So, Victim of Changes, Ripper, Dreamer, Deceiver, Deceiver, I'm... Tyrant, Genocide, Epitaph, Island of Domination. First of all, I wouldn't have put Epitaph on the album. It's their, one of their worst songs. I gotta say, I, I that's the that's the sort of loungy sounding song, right? Epitaph, or am I mistaken? Yeah, yeah I don't know what. It I, I, I okay. Open with Genocide. I want to talk about Epitaph, but let's talk about the opening first. I think that Victim of Changes seems like a reasonable first song for me. And then yeah. I like how, but I like how you get that. The Ripper's a great tune, and then you get Dreamer Deceiver, which I would say is the dip. Do you know what I mean? It's like a, yeah, yeah. it's a dip, and it's like a showcase of right. what you know Halford's voice can do. Um, right. And I don't know, Epitaph. Well, number one, you can see the Queen influence with Epitaph because that's clearly what the sound is kind of going for, right? It's, it's right. that sort of a sound. Um, it's not. <laughs> It's, it's again it's one of the reasons like in the other episode i was saying like i like having non-metal in, elements in a metal album because it really mixes it up do you know what i mean but i kind of agree with you if you put victim of changes at the end after epitaph yeah you know i think that would be a stronger closure the only thing is i think because this was made in the era of two-sided albums right. um you can see why they front loaded it with victim of changes. Sure, because people right. wouldn't have gotten that far. They yeah. would have just stopped at epitaph and they would have said, Oh my god, yeah. what has happened here? Well they they might like, have they not even gotten to side B. Do you know what I mean? Like some, some people didn't even get to side B on records. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. like um so that's why you would front load all your good stuff, I suppose. But uh We've talked about Crocus before on the show, and they only have one metal album that's Headhunter. The rest is all bluesy rock. Um but I love so many songs on that album. And my favorite song is the last one. And I learned as a kid listening to a lot of albums that my favorite song generally tended to be the last one on the album because that's where they put their experimental stuff. That's where they put their uh, more emotional, heavier weighted music because they didn't, they didn't, they knew that it wasn't going to be the hit, the top 20 hit that say, you know, if looking at this list, Ripper is the easiest one to listen to. 
Yeah, I, well, I don't know. I think some people are going to have a hard time with Ripper, to be honest. Um, really? I, I like Ripper, but yeah, because he has... Number one, Halford has a really different... I don't know what you would call it. Like a, His vocal rhythm is different from any other vocalist that I've ever heard. And sure. I think that's the hurdle to... Like, every band has a hurdle that makes them a little hard for people that aren't fans to get into. And I think the hurdle with Halford... It's obviously not his voice, because it's stellar, but his vocal rhythm is very offbeat. And I think it's no yeah. more, mo, no more, nowhere is that more the case than the Ripper because he's, he's specifically using it to kind of emulate Jack the Ripper, you know, I, stalking somebody and stabbing them out of the blue. Do you know what I mean? So it's a, um, it just has a strange vocal rhythm to it. Priest is my first metal band and they're not my favorite, but they're up there. They're certainly a top five for me. And I think by chipping my teeth on them, they have ruined other metal for me. Because Rob's voice, you're right. He doesn't sing the way other people do. You listen to Testament, his voice is the same through every fucking song. And there's there's no there's no variegation to it. And then you listen to something like Unleashed in the East, or you listen to Sad Wings of Destiny or whatever, and Priest is doing stuff nobody else is doing. And if that's your first entrance into metal, I think that is going to color your perspective. That's a really good point I hadn't considered. Yeah, so so because with the rip, also the Ripper, the subject matter kind of makes it a little less listenable too. I think maybe, but um, not everybody not everybody wants to hear a song about Jack the Ripper on right. Top Forty Radio. Do you know what I mean? Um, I and, would still argue that for the purposes of this album, it is a very easy to listen to yeah. song, and so you want to front load the album with genocide or Ripper or Tyrant, and you want to save your most emotional best song like victim of changes for the end if it was me structuring that album that is how i would have done it well i i will i will say that it it, it they, they probably could have picked a more emotionally <coughs> satisfying song to end it on um yeah. and, and when i do think of like again when you think of maiden albums they end you know number of the beast they end on hallowed be thy name you know power slave ends on um uh on rhyme of the ancient mariner and Peace of mind has to tame a land. Do you know what I mean? It's like that. Yeah, those are really solid enders on an album, and and it is it, it's it is probably a a good place to put your most experimental, interesting song. But yeah. I do I do get the reluctance to put a good song as your final song because right. you're worried that people will even hear it. Do you know what I mean? And and that's you know uh, you well, know like, was fantastic at that, and we're going to talk about that in another episode. But Queensrÿche was great at the last song the last song on their albums make you want to flip it over and start all over again because their last songs were so emotional um and i i think that bands do a disservice to themselves when they don't when they don't put an emotional song at the end because that my buddy had a punk band when i years ago and i wrote a couple of songs for his album the lyrics i didn't write the sheet music um and i I remember he came to the office one day with four different songs and I said, this is the last song on the album right here. This one, this is going to get people to turn, flip it over and start playing it again. Mm -hmm. And in the age of CDs, you don't flip it over, but you get the context. Um, That's like when people say the needle drops on a CD. Yeah, the you know? yeah. And I, I just, maybe I just have a, a thing for the order that songs should be in. I like making mixtapes, mm -hmm. right. And saying, okay, I want this. And then this, um, and there's something about that. High Fidelity, the movie, talked about that. The order that songs should I mean, be. that's all about 
lists in general. You know what yeah. I mean? That that movie. Um, yeah. Which, which by the way, I saw for the first time like last year. I never saw that movie until uh, I was like, okay, I got to finally actually see this film. Every um, everybody sent hate mail to Brendan right now for waiting that long to see that fantastic. He considers himself a music fan too. Music and movies. I do. And he I like this long. Well. It just, it's just that kind, that kind of movie is not one that I generally watch. Do you know what I mean? So like, it just, you know, it, it took a lot of hearing people mention High Fidelity for me to finally break down and be like, okay, I need to go and actually see this thing. Um, but uh, you mentioned punk rock. Maybe we want to talk a little about punk rock because I know you wanted to do a punk rock episode at some point, and I know nothing about punk rock, so we probably can't sure. get like a full episode out of it. But right. it might be if you're able. We might want to venture into punk rock territory now. Um, yeah, punk rock suffers from the same thing that metal does, all the different versions of it. The hardcore scene, the DC scene, the the New York scene, the California scene. California punk is what ended up winning the Sound Wars because uh, it's the most, it's the easiest to listen to, um, but it's not where punk started. And so talk about punk. And Ian McKay wrote the best book on punk, so that's that also has an influence. But what people were trying to do with it as a social movement before it came what it was with sound, um, that all matters. And so it's very difficult to just spit out a couple of words about it. You made fun of it because it only has three chords, and I said it has four. And I said that's almost enough for a song. Which that's I was, almost enough for a song. <laughs> that was pretty funny. But that, it was funny. <laughs> but, but, almost but, enough for a glam rock song. <laughs> But but here's the thing. Here's what I'll say. What you just said actually might have explained to me why I don't like punk. Um, and it's probably more emotional than it is intellectual, which is you said that the sound, basically the California sound won out. And I have to admit, every time I see a punk band, even when I just see like a T-shirt for a punk band, it reminds me of California, specifically the California I lived in as a kid, you know, right. for five years. And so I feel like that's you're probably right about that sound being because that's I deeply associate punk with with uh, like Southern California culture for some reason um, from but, like the late 80s. Right. Do you know what I mean? Um, and the funny part is, is that you have two different kinds of California punk. You have Pennywise and Bad Religion who are intellectual punk. And then you have uh, from the California scene, and then you have the surf punk, right, which is just. Mm -hmm noise and there's a bunch of bands that do that sound and it's it's not for me but the intellectualism of punk is what drew me to it okay um, i like bands like the descendants and i can make a list for you i can make a list of 10 songs that you should listen to and then what, we can what decide would you what doing an episode what would you say to somebody like especially a metal person who you know because metalheads often have a thing against punk um what would you say to persuade them to listen to punk like what's the thing like obviously there are certain things that they're going to have trouble looking past so what would you say they should look to so that they're so, not bothered while they're listening to it they should listen it's all it, a lot of it is about harmonies a lot of it is about messaging if you're listening to dead kennedys mm -hmm. you're going to be paying attention to jello biafra's command of the language okay or if you're listening to fugazi or you're listening to the minor threat Ian McKay's understanding of social revolution. If you're listening to Bad Religion, you're listening for um, Greg Graffin's just being one of the smartest people on the planet, right? He has a doctorate in zoology and he uses the word phylogenetically in a punk song. Mm 
Mm. And I think when you there's a song they have called uh, the negative aspect of po the positive aspect of negative thinking. Uh, let's gather around the carcass of the old deflated beast. We've seen it through the accolade and collected in its lee. That's the opening of the song. And the whole song is him just showing off his command of English. So the band you're listening to is going to have an impact. If you're listening to Husker Du Land Speed Record or Husker Du's Arcade, and this is an album, by the way, that transcends boundaries, and we talked about on the other episode, uh, Husker Du's Arcade is the greatest album ever made by anybody. So much work went into that album to break down all kinds of sound barriers and music. But if you go back and listen to their previous album, which is called Landspeed Record, you're hearing a band do something with punk that had never been done before. And there was just no drama to it at all. It was just, okay, here's a song, we're going to play it. Hmm. Okay, here's the next song, we're going to play it, and so on. So there's so much to punk. A band like Seven Seconds or Minutemen, they sound very different than, say, The Clash is what hmm. people think punk is. And I can't stand The Clash, by the way. I think they brought nothing. I don't think Johnny Rotten and um, other guys. What the fuck's the name of that band? Johnny Sex Rotten. Pistols. Sex Pistols. I can't stand that version of punk, mm. right? That Everybody considers them the progenitors, and I just think, well, that was just people that were mad at the Queen. That's not social revolution. That's, that's just getting drunk and banging on a piece of machinery. I think it isn't until you get the Black Flag and Ian McKay that, and Dead Kennedys... Mm -hmm. uh, you really see a social transformation with punk. And I realize that I, we never talk about it on the show. So people probably don't realize how much I love punk and how ingrained in the, in the culture of it I was, but I got to the game late and I did a lot of catching up with punk mm -hmm. because metal was dying in 88, right? There was nothing to listen to. And I got into bands like descendants, bad religion. There was seventh uh, son in seven in, in 88. Sure. Sure. <laughs> but you could only listen to that album so many times. Um, all the bands that I had loved previously in the 80s. I mean, Priest had just done Turbo, which is yeah. just the most offensive thing I anybody's mean, ever put out. That was basically like when hair metal was kind of taking over everything, I think, 88, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and the, so I had to go and find something else, and that's when I found these other bands. And I really gravitated to California Punk because, one, it was a little easier to listen to, but, two... Bands like Pennywise and Bad Religion were really speaking to me as a college student about the things that I was waking up to. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, I remember there was a lot of animosity between the punks and the metalheads when I was yeah. younger. And then I do remember, like, having friends that were into punk and going to, like, punk shows and stuff like that. But the structure is so different from metal. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's like going, it's like if somebody likes classical and then they go and they watch, like, jazz do you know what I mean? It's like they're not, it's not going to register with them. And so there's nothing complicated about punk. I will never defend it and say, oh, you really got to listen to this song because it's, it's experimental. Um, but you're not listening to punk for, to be, for, to be musically challenged. You're listening to punk to be socially or intellectually challenged. Okay. No, I can um, get that. I, I guess for me, like when I listen to a band, like if the guitar is like not, if it's it's like the guitar's got to be there for me to kind of get into it usually. Uh, I mean, there are exceptions to that. I do listen to folk music, so I'm trying to think. Well, I like folk music because like it's witty. Do you know what I mean? And like obviously, like anybody can play three chords on a guitar. Do you know what I mean? There's nothing. 
you know, like sometimes they'll get in session musicians and stuff. Like you listen to some of those later Phil Oaks albums and the music gets a lot more complicated. But for the most part, most folk music is pretty, you know, it's either it's either really simple, like people strumming chords or it's like proper folk music where it's like the same folk technique that is complicated, but it's just that one folk technique. Do you know what I mean? It's not like a, a broad array of uh, musical uh, techniques that they're bringing to the instruments. Um, so I think I think that that would maybe be my window for getting into into punk. Um, but uh, but also I have to wonder like is is part of it just the fact that punk is political and metal isn't, and so that maybe is part of the dividing line. Like that's like you know metalheads are they just not are metalheads not as political by nature? Do you think? I I don't well. I think there was a lot of politicism in metal early on. I think it died out once death metal showed up and thrash metal showed up. But look at Megadeth. Right? But that, but that's kind of but they kind of stand out for being that way. Do you know what I mean? Like that's kind of the thing that separates them from so many oh. of the other bands. Um, well, Iron Maiden had Two Minutes of Midnight, and I remember that standing out to me as a political song. Okay, that's fair, um, but. But you're right. Maybe metal just doesn't have that much politics. But so like, I just assume it does. But like, you, but you could listen to Iron Maiden and like be like, I have no idea where these guys stand on any given point. Poli- like, okay, they don't <laughs> want the world to blow up from nuclear weapons, right? Like, yeah, like that's they're not the really a yeah. extreme belief. Yeah, there's. I don't know what economic system they buy. You know, what I mean, there's, there's, you know. So I, I think well, this, they clearly like money. There's no. <laughs> well, I'm sure you know. Yeah, no, but that's that's, I, and I suspect with a band like Iron Maiden, you what you probably have is like people that have very different political opinions from each other within a band like that. Because right. um, I know Bruce Dickinson is more on the conservative side, and I suspect Steve Harris might be more on the other side. Um, but and I don't know. But I just kind of have suspected that based on the differences in what I've seen them say. Um, but I just don't think of like most metal being that that political there are obvious like you know uh system of a down is an obvious example of a metal band that's very political um and and, and granted we could dispute the categorization of that band but um, somebody once said ska is punk music for kids that had good childhoods and i think that that's a really telling message about what punk is and why it's so political because it was made during an age of white flight, right? Where you had all these poor white kids who were left behind in inner cities while all of the rich white kids were going to the suburbs Mm -hmm. and they were seeing the poverty around them affecting their lives, but nobody was talking about it. Mm -hmm. People were talking about the poverty of minorities, but not Mm -hmm. the poverty of white people. And so punk comes out of that movement as sort of this, holy shit, what about what's happening to us? How did capitalism leave us behind? And so you have a the, the look of punk just came out of the fact that and I think it was I want to say I want to say it was Dead Kennedys or maybe it was Black Flag. Somebody's dad just bought a bag of clothes at a thrift store and they just grabbed some clothes out of it and that's what they started wearing on stage and that what became the aesthetic for punk, right? That gives you a, a sense of why the music is so simple but the lyrics are so intense because we're dumb white trash kids but we still have something to say okay and then the the suburbanite white kids got into either ska or metal because metal was angry um and you were you were angry but you didn't know why you were angry 
Um, and then ska just spoke to kids that, oh, I'm done with new wave, time for some ska. But the thing is, I knew a lot of metalheads who were poor. Do you know what I mean? Like that seemed to be a common sure, thing. Sure. Is that like, sure? And I'm saying are... that that yeah, that's probably where that anger comes from. Um, but then, then you get a sense that the anger is there, but they're not exactly sure why they're angry versus the kids who are listening to punk who know exactly why they're angry. Okay. Okay. And I, I could be talking out of my ass, but that's my perspective on, on the divide. And I'm just angry, so I love both. Okay. So, okay. Yeah, I think I think with metal, the anger is more. It's not a political anger usually. Do you know what I mean? It's more. It's 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 just like a sort of universal emotional. Uh, just kind of you know. I mean, it might come. It might arise for political reasons, but I I, I think that it's also just kind of there. Um, and I think also because and also metal is metal is things that punk is not. Metal is theatrical. And I feel like, I mean, obviously there are going to be theatrics in punk, I'm sure. But I feel like punk bristles more at theatrics, right? Because it would, would it consider theatrics artificial? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so I, I think I, I, I think a lot of those reasons are also probably why you would maybe have a divide there. For me, it boiled down to the, to the sound. And, um, and, and I think, I think also I, uh, I, I, I don't, I'm not very interested in other people's political points of views oftentimes. So I don't, you know, like I have political views and I'm interested in like my friends' political points of views and all that, but I don't right. necessarily, like if a TV show is giving me like a political message, I'm not usually very interested because my assumption is I don't think like that writer is smarter than me. Do you know what I mean? So I don't want to be getting a message from them. Sure, um, sure. But, well, I, and I think, that you've made a really good point as to why maybe punk existed when it did, because it was before social media. Mm. So if you were angry at government, you really didn't have a way of expressing it. Okay. Okay. That's but fair. now since 2005 or whatever it's been, everybody spouts every stupid thought that comes into their head about every decision a congressman makes mm. and it ends up on the internet. So where does punk have to go? You don't, well, it's not really a thing anymore. Is, is, is it's there all bubble gum now? Is there any viable punk still, or is it, is it like a? You know. I'd have to go look up some band names. I think there's about maybe ten bands left. Um, Ignite still exists. Pennywise still exists. Bad Religion still exists. So if you're looking for that political uh, Southern California message, those bands are still there. Okay. Um, but uh, Ian McCade is not a minor threat anymore. He started a new band called Fugazi, which you can blame Fugazi for the emo movement because of the structure of their first album. Um, but that's another complicated conversation. Fugazi still an amazing band, but they're not necessarily punk. They're more of a blend of various sounds. Uh, you just don't have that much angry punk anymore. It really is Blink-182 and bands like that. Is Blink-182 considered punk or are they? I, they're, they can, more... they're considered bubblegum punk. I don't oh. really think of them as punk. But What about Green Day? Punk. What is Green Day considered? Green, Day's, Green Day has a punk album. That uh, American Idiot album is really... A punk album punk. but i think they're just mostly a poppy bubblegum okay. punk kind of band. i didn't that album i didn't mind that was one of the albums yeah. that's like the only green day album i ever bought um right and and i bought it because at the time you know they were playing it a lot you know what i mean and that so uh and i and i liked i liked the um the guitar delay effect they used on boulevard of broken dreams so i wanted to hear more of the album um 
but but generally that's not the kind of music that I would normally buy. But at the time, I didn't think of it as punk because it seemed more textured to me. Do you know what I mean? It seemed like there was a lot more going on musically. When it, like it had a punk structure, I thought, but like a lot of the um, the productions seemed more big to me. Do you know what I mean? Um, but maybe that's just me not understanding. You know, no, they the, certainly had more money than any punk band has ever had. Uh-huh. And so uh, they they're one of the best paid bands in the world, actually. OK, ironically. Um, but so I think a lot of that goes into the production of that album. And I'd heard a story about American Idiot that the files, they had recorded the entire album and all the files were lost. And so they had to re-record everything. That's what I heard, too. And it sounded very suspicious. Um, it did sound suspicious. Yeah. But if it's if it is true, it could explain why that album sounds as good as it does, because they've already mastered those songs and now they're going back in and re-recording them. OK, well, I thought they just scrapped everything they had done and did a totally new album. Oh, so, OK. Well, I could be and, wrong because here was my impression. I got the impression that like somebody in the band, probably the singer. Flushed everything for a reason. Do you know what I mean? Like. Or the producer or somebody like because uh, I just don't think you just go and lose all the files to a, you know, that you're working on on an album like that. That doesn't seem like it's the normal thing that happens. I also noticed that that album borrows a lot of melodies from other songs. And I don't know if that was intentional or not. Um, uh, I'm looking right now at Billboard.com. They're talking about. What date is this? Oh, this is back in 2015. Uh, uh, apparently they made a documentary about this very topic. I'll have to read it later. I'm not going to. Yeah. It's, let, it's, it seemed very suspicious. It seemed very, but like there's a song, there's a, uh, one of the songs in there has a melody. That's, uh, what's that Brian Adams song summer of 69. Yeah. There's a song in there that uses like the same vocal melody as summer of 69. Oh. They use, I think the melody from full house in one of the songs. <laughs> I swear to you, if you go through and yeah. listen to that album, you will hear melodies that you recognize from other places. And I, I always thought that they were doing it purposefully. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like to, to remind you, because I mean, because it, it's because of the theme of the album. But I, right. I could be wrong. Um, I think sometimes that shit gets into your subconscious, and there's nothing you can do about it. But this I was mean, like the first time I heard the song. I was like, wait, that's the summer of '69, and I don't even like Brian Adams. Do you know what I mean? But like, it just was like obvious to me. Um, I've, I've accidentally plagiarized other writers before simply because I'll hear something and forget mm-hmm. I heard it. And then I think it's my idea. Yeah, no, it's easy to do, especially with music. Yeah. Like like in it, with writing, it's easier to not do because there's so many possible combinations. But in music, it's like it would be like if writers could only use uh, how, how would I put it? If there were one third of the dictionary, not even, not even. Yeah. Not even right, that. but I get your point. I, I realize how limited the structure of music is. It's like it's like there's like basically twelve notes in Western music, and right. that's what you got to work with. And then, you know, there's not that many chords. And chords are, even if you're playing chords in a different key, you could be playing essentially the same chords. Like if you're in, you know, uh, if you're if you're in in A versus you're in C, you can still play chords at the same intervals. That will sound like, you know, if you if you play those songs back to back, they're still going to sound like the same song. They're just in different keys. Do you know what I mean? Um, so you, you have a lot. You're pretty limited. Um, but 
but yeah, so I don't know. I, 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 uh, oh, where does, um, what's his name fit into this? Uh, well, I can't remember his name. He's very loud. He, um, he likes to talk a lot. Henry Rollins? Henry, Henry Rollins, yes. Well, he was in Black Flag. Okay, and, okay. But he came in after Black Flag had been loud and political, and he started doing less political lyrics for the band. They have an album called uh, Who's Got the Ten and a Half? And it's about who has the biggest dick in the band. Mm-hmm. And it's just funny, right? And Kira is the bass player. It's a woman. She turns tends the it turns out she has the biggest penis in the group. Right? Okay. Okay. So it it's not uh it's not transphobic or anything. It's just they're being funny and stupid and childish. Uh-huh. And so when Henry joins the band, they they oddly aren't as angry as they were of them before he was in, even though he turns out to be such an angry guy. Uh-huh. Um, when you hear his spoken word, I've met Henry a couple of times and I used to correspond with him when I was in uh, college. What kind of person is he? He's intense. He is, uh, but he doesn't have a lot of self-esteem oddly. Um, I, I noticed that when we were talking, he comes off on stage cause I went to a spoken word performance of his and then I went to a punk show. Um, and when he's on stage, he's got all the confidence in the world. But when you're talking to him one-on-one, um, he's really, I met Maynard once too from tool. Uh, he's really intense, but yeah, Henry, Henry just came across as a nice guy, but just a little awkward and squirrely. I met, um, who did I meet? I met, uh, Oh God, I can't remember his name now. I'll, I'll skip it. Um, but, uh, I met Eric idol. That's who I met. Um, Eric yeah, I met Eric from, idol from, from Monty, Monty Python. Python. Yeah. I, met, oh, I went, I went to, uh, I went to, a, uh, what was the, th- the name of the show? Eric Idle uh, exploits money. I, f- I don't remember the title, but he was basically saying like Eric Idle is like, you know, uh, you know, just like basically making money off of the Monty Python legacy was the idea of the tour. Um, I, I grew up in L.A., so I've met somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 celebrities. Uh, and we could do an entire episode talking about that. It you, After a while, it's just it's not even a thing anymore. Really? Yeah, I've. I, I've, I've, I met Gina Gershon at a Descendants show. Really? Yeah. That's, yeah, I, I, I haven't met that many famous people. I met I met um, Eric Idle. I've talked to George Foreman on the phone, and I've talked to Teddy Atlas on the phone. And I think that's... And Ken Norton. And that's about... Eric Estrada came into a movie theater I was working at that's, when I was younger. And Eric Estrada. Now, when you meet these people, do you go up and talk to them, or you just kind of let them go about their business? I let them go about their business. I don't bother anybody. Yeah, my, my... I uh, I was. Uh, oh, go ahead. Uh, Ed Harris talked to me once. Gary Oldman talked to me once. Uh, what was and... Gary Oldman like? I like Gary Oldman. Back Gary, he... no. Yeah, just ba- really, just a regular guy. I like when he used to play villains, and he doesn't do that anymore. But I used to love, like. He, it was like I remember being aware when he was like big, and he was still doing that before he just started playing nice characters. Um, that it was like okay we have like another vincent price do you know what i mean that we haven't had like like you don't get those all the time do you know what i mean right. so um and i and i grew up on vincent price so uh the the only time i made an idiot of myself meeting a celebrity is i met mick foley in the Incheon airport in korea and i made a total ass of myself what did Still you do what, what did you do <laughs> oh i just holy shit mick foley that uh, kind of thing and okay I had just gotten off a plane, so I, I'm not going to blame it on that, but I'm just going to say that didn't help. 
but I am normally very respectful of people's space, and I just could not believe I made an ass of myself. And I've tried contacting him over the years saying, you don't remember me, but I made an ass of myself. That probably doesn't make it any better when yeah. you do that. I really apologize. You deserve better, that kind of thing. Because I, I, I made him uncomfortable. I ab- obviously made him uncomfortable. Okay. Well, you know you know what it probably was? He was in Korea. He probably thought he wasn't going to be recognized and, you know, something like that. But, he uh, works with a Southeast Asian charity, which I didn't know at the time. Uh-huh. Um, and that's probably why he was there. Okay. Um, and here's this idiot American. Herpaderp, hey, Mr. Foley, will you hit yourself with a chair for me? I didn't say that, but I might as well have. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how I'd react in the presence of a celebrity, because when I saw Eric Idle, it was at a, it was at the show like when you go up to the booth after, do you know what I mean? So it wasn't like, it wasn't like unexpected or anything. Do you know what I mean? Right. And it was all very formal. Um, but I've never, I don't think I've ever seen one just walking around. I would probably, I probably wouldn't think that it's actually the person. I think I, I, yeah. I, I think I'd be so doubtful that it's actually the person. Cause you don't see celebrities here that I would just <laughs> ignore them and be like, okay, oh. now that's just somebody who looks like that person. You got that's Mark like, Wahlberg. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We have Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> uh-huh. He said, said deflated um i was in a room with val kilmer once i was working at paramount and he just walks in and he starts talking to the two lady assistants there were this um the person i was working for i had two personal assistants uh-huh. and he just comes in and just starts talking and he just talked nonstop for 20 minutes and then he left yeah uh, and i just thought well that guy is that's different than i thought val kilmer was going to be how did you think he was going to be um well i've met him twice now that's the funny thing i've actually met him twice but um, I just assumed that he was going to be the fun guy that he was in Top Secret, right? Okay, okay. And it turns out he has all kinds of emotional issues, and he doesn't—he doesn't like attention. He doesn't like. Yeah, that's my uh, impression of him. Actually, is yeah. he seems like a really, like serious I, I type person that I'd be borderline autistic, to be honest. The way that he talks and behaves, and I'm not saying that as a negative. I'm just saying <clears throat> that that's that just he was like. Impression. What? I mean, I because my my impression of him is he's like a very serious person that I would not yeah. just approach if I saw him somewhere. You know I mean, again, I probably wouldn't even realize it's him, but um, uh, but yeah, I don't know. Go ahead. No, go ahead. You finish your thought. Oh no, I, I was done. I was done. He was at uh, Gen Con SoCal doing signings, mm-hmm. um, and he was there for maybe fifteen, twenty, thirty minutes, something like that, and he just couldn't take it anymore, and he just left. They had to call in William Shatner. to come down and do signings and i met him and he was sick as a dog and he was so nice i've always wanted to meet william shatner that's somebody who i would love to meet um i just all i did was say thank you right that's the thing i tend to do i met john rice davies and i said thank you um i met ddp the wrestler at FangoraCon about 10 years ago and i just said hey i have your (laughs) yoga dvd i i think if you meet william shatner my impression is if it's a good interaction or a bad one, you still get a good story out of it. Cause I've seen him react positively and negatively to people. And it's always sure. pretty entertaining all around. And it doesn't seem, it seems like he forgets about it two minutes later too. So it's not, whatever happens, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I'd love to meet him. I would love to meet Patrick Stewart too. I would, I would love uh, to I've just, met him. Oh, what was he like? He was writing a, uh, he, this again on the Paramount lot, he was in full makeup and full, uh, costume and he was riding a beach cruiser 
a bicycle across the lot trying to get some food. And I just saw him and I waved and I said hello. But I, we didn't spend any time hanging out or anything. Hmm. But that was my interaction with Patrick Stewart. Yeah, I, 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 I think he, he was great in Star Trek, but I also loved him in I, Claudius as Sejanus. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, no, back to Bark Wahlberg. I, it, really? Yeah, I got to talk about it because I, I dropped it after my deflated response. Like, he just embodies everything, like, bad about, like, the bad associations people have with Boston. He embodies all that stuff. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I it's just that. like, and also he's like, like I, as a person from Boston, I can tell when he's lying. Do you know what I mean like, like Boston people do this thing where they raise their voice like high pitch when they're lying or trying to make themselves nicer than they really are, and he does that all the time. He's always talking in like a higher pitched voice than his real voice. Do you know what I mean? And it right. makes me distrust everything he says when he's acting. Do you know what I mean? It's like sure. it, it's like he's saying like this is like he's trying to present himself as a nice guy, but you know he's not a nice guy. So I don't know. That's just my 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 yeah. my feeling. I I found him really. I find every time he plays a, a hardcore Boston douchebag, I find that entertaining because I don't live there. So for me, it's not an insult to my culture. I don't, I'm not insulted. I'm not insulted when yeah, people I, say that. Pick a word. Yeah. Pick a word. Um. But when he's in Departed, right, and he's playing that character, you get a sense he's really challenging all the assholes, channeling all the assholes from his neighborhood that he grew up with. No, and I mean, there's truth to it. It's not like, you know, like he is one of those guys. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like there's definitely truth to that. The The thing that turned me off to his <laughs> acting big time was um, one of my friends from this area said, you know, like, I, because I, I thought he was fine in Departed. Yeah, I had no problem with that performance. But then my friend's like, no, he's got like two volumes. He can do like soft and loud and that's it. <laughs> and like, and then I, I couldn't not notice that anymore. Once the person pointed that out to me, do you know what I mean? That it was just like, he was just like, like volume 10 the whole time in that. And so, sure. um, but yeah, I know that uh, he's not a great actor. He's just, depending on what he's doing, he's fun to watch. I get, yeah, I guess that's, yeah, I don't know. I, um, and, and, you know, also, I don't know if you know about this, but around here we have, there's a chain called Wahlburgers. And yeah, a, yeah. <laughs> so um, there's a reality show about it. Yeah, there was. A, yeah, I think there was. I don't think it's still on. I hope it's not. Um, but I mean, there's just like a whole period of time going back to like New Kids on the Block, where you just can't, you just can't escape those people. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But uh, at least the two brothers. Um, but uh, but yeah. So we're kind of far afield from. Um, <laughs> I don't what know our original topic was here. What, were, what did we start on? We started on something you wanted to talk about. We ended up talking about the Wal- the, the, the Wahlberg family. Um, talk about Wahlbergs now. We talked about punk rock for a little bit. What we opened with, uh, I've already lost it. Um, I was angry about something, and I said, just start recording. You were mad about yeah. the list, but that was the first topic. That was the previous episode. Yeah, that was the, I don't yeah. know how we got here. Oh, album orders. We were talking about yeah, the order album songs on albums. About- because I, oh. I, I, and I'll still say that I think the first album that really sat down and had a, in metal, the first album that sat down and had a concentrated, this is the order we really want these songs is Peace of Mind. Okay. I mean, wouldn't you say that Number of the Beast also had kind of an order to it or no? There's, there's several songs on Number of the Beast that I don't like that make it hard for me to pick that album. Okay. But hope- the ending is fantastic with Hallowed Be Thy Name, so... 
And, oh, and actually, oh. Iron Maiden has said that they, or at least Steve Harris has said that he didn't like um, the, the, the uh, I think Invaders is the song that he wished he, they didn't have on the oh. album. Um, so what songs on Number of the Beast don't you like? I, I don't like Run to the Hills. Cannot stand it. Um, actually, I share it, I share that dislike, even though that's like probably the most known song from that album. Right. Um, right. But it might be because I've heard it so much because they play it all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, and it gets stuck in your head. It's this infectious yeah. top forty song. It's not really metal mm-hmm. to me. Um, I don't like Invaders. I don't like Twenty Two Acacia Avenue. Mm. I don't like Run to the Hills. I think that those are just that's just sloppy songwriting. Okay. I like 22 Acacia Avenue. That song I do like, but I agree with the other two. The other two, I... I mean, Run to the Hills was fine the first time I heard it. It's just that I can't stand it anymore. Um, And none of the other songs have that effect after having listened to the album so many times. I'm going to look it up because I want to make sure that I didn't miss any songs. Uh, Prisoner's okay. Gangland is okay. Children of the Damned and Hallowed Be the Damned are the best songs on the album. Right. So yeah. I would only, honestly, if you get rid of all the others and just had those two, well, you need, really you need children of the dam number of the beast. You need hallowed be thy name. I, I still stand by 22 Acacia Avenue. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing is, I don't like run to the Hills, but I mean, so many people do that. It's sort right. of like, obviously they're not going to take that off the album. Um, no, no, of course yeah. they're not. But I was just um, speaking for me, what I like. And yeah. I know. Like. Children. I think children of the dam and hallowed be the name are the best songs. Um, yeah. uh, Children, Children of the Dam. Oh, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. I think it's it's maybe one of their top songs, and it's underrated. It's completely yeah. underrated. It's also one of the blueprints that uh, was clearly at work in Fade to Black. Um, like that, I, I'm definitely. I've I've heard that from more than one source. That and, makes sense. Yeah, and I, and I can understand that. And when I first heard those songs, remember I came to metal in the late '80s, so like this album had been around for a while. So would Light Ride the Lightning. And I, I remember getting those albums around the same time, and I used to confuse Children of the Damned and Fade to Black all the time when I first heard them. Um, and then and then I just started thinking of them as a pair um, to the point that I actually uh, played Children of the Damned wrong, I think because of Fade to Black for ages until like I went back and looked at the actual chords, and I was like, oh, I'm playing like the wrong third chord of this song. Um and I had been doing it forever, um, and it wasn't just the wrong chord. It was the it was like a I was playing a minor when it should have been a major or vice versa. Um, but Children of the Dam is a great song. It's uh, it's a re, it's a really good use too of. What's interesting is the is the two great songs in that album are really not that heavy. Do you know what I mean? Like they like they have heaviness in them. Like obviously, how it be that name. Uh, you know, becomes heavy as the, as the song goes on. But, but I think of those as much more melodic songs than heavy songs. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I don't know. Uh, I think, I think we've fully explored this topic at this yeah, point. Yeah. Yeah. This is a really <laughs> weird episode. It, um, well, we covered album orders, punk, and then we talked about meeting celebrities and celebrities. So, and we somehow got 45 minutes out of it. So I'll end it here. You can, you huh? can talk, man. I, I'm going to blame you. I clearly did nothing 
I think you did a lot of talking this yeah, episode, Yeah, I dominated too. this episode. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I was yeah. trying to blame you. Yeah, I don't think... I, I mean, there are episodes I can get blamed for rambling for, like, 20 minutes, but this is not one of them. Um, especially since we were talking about punk, and, like, I have, like, nothing to, <laughs> to add to punk. Um, but, uh... All right, so we'll end it here, and until next episode, we'll talk to you later. The unpleasant presence you install And every memory we have Forgotten promises like thoughts The unholiness of your love made me pray for your departure for you leaving my past my present my future the unholiness 